Welcome to On the Bubble Podcast, episode 46. I'm your host, Tsubasa J. Ueda, and with me is my co-host, Yuki Lee Bender. Today, we're going to be talking about calling Las Vegas that happened. We concluded two days ago. I flew back yesterday. Did you come back yesterday as well? Yeah, I kind of came back first thing in the morning. I think my flight was at 8 a.m., so I woke up at like 5 or something to get to the airport. My flight was like later in the evening, so I ended up like chilling in Vegas a little bit longer and then fly back. I came back home at like 11 p.m. Oh, nice. Yeah, if I could do one thing differently, I would have given myself a little bit more time on either end. I got in at like midnight on the Thursday or like, I guess, Friday morning, and then I left very early on Monday. And I was like, you know, having a bit of time on either end just to kind of relax, hang out with people would have been kind of nice. but. You know, it was still a good weekend. Yeah, definitely a good weekend. Uh, Before we talk about Vegas, though, we haven't recorded in like two to three weeks now. Has anything anything important to happen that you want to update the listeners about? Nothing super important, but we've just been kind of busy. On my end, I had a friend, a good friend of mine, get married and I was away on Vancouver Island for just like a weekend, but it, it did sort of like spill into the week a little bit and was like a pretty it's like a multi-day kind of a thing and and a pretty big commitment overall and really fun very happy for my friend but uh that did sort of like affect her recording that week and then um i know you've been busy as well jay what have you been up to yeah it was uh like final exams week for school for myself i'm back in school i'm gonna be back in school for one more term just like the final exams been lining up and then i was like playing a lot of poker to try and like make enough money to go to Vegas. I ended up not doing that well in poker, so I ended up going to Vegas with like 26 US dollars in my pocket and that was a <laughs> that was an experience as well. Yeah. Um definitely excited to talk about our Vegas experiences later in the episode. We're going to focus on the event mostly at the start, but we'll we'll be sharing some of our stories. And um, for anybody that hasn't heard Jay's travel stories, I would highly recommend you stay tuned because Jay's Jay's travel stories on a budget are always um, very entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Okay, uh, let's uh, dive right into the calling because we have a lot to talk about today. So I guess before the calling, the Calling Las Vegas or U.S. Nationals was the same, basically the same event at Westgate Las Vegas. And Friday was the day one for Nats. Uh, it concluded on, did it conclude on Sunday, top eight? It did. It was basically structured like a pro tour. So seven rounds, day one, seven rounds, day two, and then top eight on day three. And I think all of top eight was streamed. Okay, I see, I see. So if you are curious on the U.S. Nat side, all the streams should be on YouTube somewhere, uh, at least online somewhere, so you can find that and watch that. But our main topic today was going to be calling Las Vegas, and I guess no spoilers here, Yuki ended up winning and taking this event down, and we're going to do like a tournament report for Yuki's calling experience, adventure. But before that, on Friday, because we didn't play U.S. Nationals, there was a PTI event that you played? Yeah, so on Friday, um, a lot of people did side events, but there was also a PTI event that you could play. I believe it was like eight rounds of Swiss into top eight, which is pretty grueling. I was really on the fence going into this event between Icelander and Lexi. I couldn't decide. I had been probably playing more Icelander than I had Lexi, but I was 
really, really not sure. Um, I played Icelander in the PTI event, and I went three, two, and one, losing and drawing to Dromize, uh, specifically Big Dragon Dromize. And I just ended up feeling like the really strong Big Dragon Dromize, I couldn't beat because, or I couldn't easily beat because the matchup's quite hard. And then some of the maybe less experienced Dromai's were beatable, but the game is very long and you might not finish in time. And and I just didn't really like that spot, um, especially considering there was a bunch of Canadians that traveled down from Ontario that were all on Big Dragon Dromai. So PTI event was like a nice chance to try out Icelander and decide that I don't think I want to play Icelander. I want to play Lexi. And I have to say, after playing the calling, like, yeah, I think Lexi is a reasonably better choice than than Icelander right now, even though Icelander has also been doing well. That's fair. That's fair. I ended up not playing the PTA event, mostly because I was on a very tight budget. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's just dive right into the calling. So you ended up registering Lexi for the event. Do you want to talk about your matchups first or do you want to talk about your deck first? Sure, we we can talk about the deck a little bit. A lot of the deck, so the decks on FabTCG, we'll put a link in the comments. I think a lot of the deck is pretty standard. A lot of what you would expect from Lexi decks. I think the core of Lexi is pretty much agreed upon, and then people are just figuring out the last slots and like which arrows they want for which matchups. Probably the main things that stand out about this list compared to other people are I'm only on three poppers, three command and conquerors, that's it. And in fact, I'm only actually playing two of them into Dromai. I'm playing the third one for Lexi and uh, actually into Bravo for some fatigue math. But the third one's like pretty optional and could be another card, honestly. I'm considering trimming down to two. I run two poppers and three lightning presses into Dromai, and that's it. The main reason for that is that I used to run like five, six, seven poppers like a lot of people are doing right now. And they really clog up your hand. Even when it's battering bolt, like you don't really want to spend three resources for this six go again arrow. It's 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 really clunky. And I think in the Dromai matchup, you really want to be the aggressor. And having too many poppers actually, while it can help catch you up, it doesn't really fuel your main game plan of just making them block a lot. Whereas Lightning Press can be a popper if you're really, really behind and you need it to be, but is really good on offense too. And and when decks want to block you, Lightning Press is just such a good card. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I can attest to that. Lightning Press is a very, very strong card when you don't want to die. Or like, as a blocking player, when I don't want to die and they might have Lightning Press, it's like the worst the worst spot you can ever be. Yeah, you just put your opponent in a lot of no-win situations. Like having a Lightning Press face up in Arsenal always feels like such a power play because your opponent's just like, if I don't block, I'm just eating all the on-hits. But if I do block, they just lightning press me and I eat the on hit anyways. And I think what people are maybe not getting about this card is like people are like, yeah, zero for three, it's fine. But if you arsenal it, you get the plus one on Voltaire. So it's a zero for four, which is good. And then you're also getting the on hit of the arrow. And you think about Lexi's on hits. You have infecting shot. That's two more. So that's like a zero for five or zero for six if you've given the infecting shot plus one. You have Heat Seeker, which gets you a card. You have Endless Arrow, which gets you a card. Like, you know, the on hits in Lexi are worth a lot. So Lightning Press's value against decks that want to be blocking you is just like, it's it's so high. I can't even <laughs> begin to explain how good the card is. Um, been very happy with this card. I can't imagine playing less than three. I think it's very key into Dromai, Icelander. Bravo, 
even like Dory, if they're fatiguing you, you have to be a bit careful there. But but any deck that wants to be blocking you, I really like it. And also decks that constrain you on uh, like resources or or on action points, so like a Azalea or Icelander, is really nice because Lightning Press is an instant. So even if Icelander like I don't know blizzards you or channels you or something like you can often you often get these weird timing windows where you can lightning press when the attack is still a layer and you still get the lightning press and it just feels very unfair for Icelander. <laughs> I have just like another note for like Battering Bolt. I think our locals we almost nobody plays Battering Bolt in our like locals. Other Lexis typically don't play Battering Bolt here. And for the first time when I went to the calling, um, I'm on Bravo and I played against like Lexies with battering bolts this weekend. And man, that arrow's bad. Like they use like a blue to fire a battering bolt. And I'm just like, what does this card do? On hit, I, you get to see my hand. Okay, I block for three and then come back at you with a dominate crippling crush. And they're just like, ha, huh, I lose. Yeah. Or, or if they do have the D react, they can just block with the D react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't play any attack reactions, or if it's a sigil, I get to play it. So it's just like battering bolt, like on the battering bolt on hit, like kind of doesn't matter against Bravo. But I'm kind of thinking like it kind of doesn't matter against a lot of heroes, right? Because I can't even think of like, yeah, it. It's mostly there as a popper and also just a high power attack into Bravo, so that it, so it's good if you if you have like remembrances and you want to have a line to fatigue Bravo, it is quite good. But the on hit on it is really bad, and the the two cost is just so like it's so expensive. It always takes a blue just for this arrow, and then you need like another resource card to play anything else. Mm-hmm. I feel like unlike infecting shot, withering shot, not with. Withering shot? The one that gives inertia? Inertia shot. Uh, Sedation shot. Sedation shot. Okay. Yeah, like, unlike those ones where the on hit actually, like, cripples the Bravo player, this one doesn't, and it gives you... It it gave me too much breathing space to, like, use it as a pivot turn that I think it's, like, almost actively bad to play it against Bravo. At least that's how I felt, and, like, that was the first time for me playing against it. And and then I ended up fatiguing the all my Lexi opponents. So yeah, and if you if you compare it to um, the popper I'm playing in that spot, which is Command and Conquer, if you have to play Command and Conquer, it like even if you're a deck that has Crown of Providence, that card is always annoying. And if they're playing like against Bravo, I've had Bravos with a bunch of D reacts, and they're like, I don't really want to block with all my non D reacts and be stuck with a handful of D reacts, but that's all I can do. Or you force out their Crown, which you're also really happy with. So Command and Conquer is just significantly better as a card that's being played and it costing two and not needing to be loaded is really big too um you can like it's pretty good on like a spinal crush turn you don't need to like flip up your arsenal and you know lose your action point and not be able to load you can just you can just play a command and conquer and that's like not bad it's good it's it's strong like it's yeah bravo needs this arsenal surprisingly bravo very very likes cards in arsenal and when Command and Conquer hits and you just like happen to draw your like four blue hand, it kind of feels bad when Crippling Crush is in there. Block with two cards and then you have to swing swing hammer for four, it kind of feels bad. Yeah. Or or you're getting equipment and anytime you're getting equipment, it's a pretty big win. So so anyways, um Battering Bolt, not a card that I've been a fan of, but I've seen in a lot of lists. 
carrying on another big one that people have asked me about is people notice that there's no trench in the list. My team's a little divided on this. There's people in the testing team that do like trench for specific spots. I think that if you're worried about the Icelander matchup in particular, you can either run trench and shock charmers, or you can run tunic and nalrune gloves. I think that those are the two best setups by quite a bit. I don't really like trench and nalrune gloves. I think that one's notably worse. You just don't really want to be going AB2 very often is the biggest thing. But my big thing about trench is that tunic is just so insane in the deck. It is worth so much and i can't like i went back and watched some coverage and i can't say how many times i see lexi's like off by a resource and having to go off arsenal or skip an attack or like something like this happens it's like if you just had tunic you wouldn't be in this spot and especially in these matchups that tend to go long like tunic just gets a ton of value and i understand that people are entrenched because they're afraid of warmongers but the adaptation that i've been making to not lose to warmongers is arsenal arrows face down especially Falcon Wing and uh, Bolton Shot. And in my experience, if people try to play Warmongers against you, they kind of get blown out because you can just snaps the arrow if you don't have anything. If it's a Falcon Wing, you can just play it and play your turn and they've burned their card in an action point to do nothing. Or if it's a Bolton Shot, it doesn't always line up. But man, when they spend their action on that and then you just get to go Bolton Shot and Lightning Press it or Rain Razors it, it feels really bad for them. Like they're just lighting an entire card and their entire turn on fire. And I think if, you know, you snaps once, you Lightning Press a Bolton Shot or you attack with a Falcon Wing the other time, like you probably lose the game if you, you know, if you light two cards on fire and two action points. Like I don't, I don't think most decks can recover from that. So yeah, I don't think any deck can recover from that. Yeah, you kind of just... Like in the tournament, people didn't really end up resolving warmongers against me, but I also felt like I would have been very happy if they did. So yeah, I think a lot of people are like wanting to run all these codexes and non-attack actions, and then that kind of forces you to play trench. But I think you can also take the other end of just really lowering the non-attack action count, arsenaling arrows, and just blowing people up if they try to play warmongers into you. And that, that's sort of been my approach and what I've liked doing. Or I guess setting up so if they play Warmongers, you don't immediately lose is probably very important with your deck right now. Yeah. And and again, like the biggest thing is just having that arrow in Arsenal and being a little bit more conservative with your Snapdragon Scaler so that you can just snaps the arrow right away. And I think Lightning Press is a big part of this because sometimes even if you don't have snaps, if you get to like shoot a Heat Seeker or shoot an Infecting Shot that you Arsenal, like you have a nice red Infecting Shot in Arsenal. If you get to play that and Lightning Press it, like you still have a good turn. You can maybe like block with a card, play an infecting shot, lightning press it, arsenal something. Like you're you're not unhappy with that turn cycle. So that's been really, really big. Um, I know people are also worried about Encase out of Icelander. Haven't seen many people play it. Encase doesn't really push that much damage and takes quite a few cards. It's at least two, one to play, one to fuse. So they're probably eating damage and on hits to play it. Encase just hasn't been a card that has scared me very much in testing. It, it has its spots. It can be good, but it can also it can also get blown out by arsenaling Bolton shots. And, and with Encase in particular, you can do things like premeditate to give your Bolton shot go again, um, in addition to the lightning press and the, and the rain razors, although you can't snaps, so... Anything else uh, about your deck you want to mention before we move on? Maybe just the very last one. Tar Pit Trap is completely insane. Um, I think people should be playing this card. 
It being a yellow pitch is really big because when you have full tempo and your opponent just blocks out, you can pitch it as a yellow and it doesn't feel bad. Whereas something like Frailty Trap is always a red and can get clunky. Um, and I think while Frailty Trap has its merits in the mirror, Tar Pit Trap has like probably a higher ceiling overall. Like you can stop like a endless arrow with double rain razors turn with a tar pit trap whereas your frailty trap's not going to be that good into it so so frailty trap has its spots it's a good card but i think that tar pit trap also has its spots and can be completely game winning when it when it is relevant and even when it's not like if you stop an infecting shot on hit with your tar pit trap it's blocked like five damage which is you know really solid yeah that is kind of insane zero cost block for five is kind of nuts yeah, and then the the top end on this card is is really really crazy. Um, I like that it also is good into Katsu and Briar, um, any deck or even like Fi if they're on Mask of Momentum, any deck that has lots of on hits and goes wide. I guess I can mention it now, but I had a game in D two against a Briar where they opened turn zero Channel Mount Heroic. Um, they did Sonata for X's one, Show Me Snatch and Scar for a Scar. Then they played Force of Nature. <laughs> And they attacked me with a scar for a scar for seven. I block seven with Hornet Sting, Tarpit Trap, and another card. They go swarming for six. I block six on the swarming. They go Nimbleism Snatch for ten, which would be two card draws, and they Snapdragon Scalers it. And I go, okay, take ten. You don't draw any cards. <laughs> so um, yeah because it's it's the next on hit and i had blocked out the the two previous on hits so it was still live for the snatch and my opponent actually went to draw cards like right away as i trying to stop them and he drew one card and there it ended up being a hidden card error which was really easy to resolve but the top card was swarming gloom veil so i'm just like super dead from that spot because he gets that swarming gloom veil for seven with go again plus another card and the swarming is going to draw a card so like like what's the math on that it blocked three it stopped two card draws and it, and the swarming would have been a whole nother card draw. So it, it blocked like 10 damage and two cards. Well, and the mountain, right? The mountain's still active? So Yeah, the mountain's still active. Like, I, I probably just die. Yeah, it would, if two cards, assuming they're both attacks, then it's just like 14 more damage. Yeah, like, it, it stopped at least the swarming for seven, and then I don't know what the other two cards were. But like, you know, like, I, I'm probably just completely out of the game. And I think Tarpa Trap's the only card that can do that. And I don't know. To me, that's hard to give up. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, any other matchups you play Tarpa Trap into, or is it just the Briar, Katsu, and the Mirror? Yeah, Briar, Katsu, Mirror, Fi, if you think they're on Mask of Momentum. It's okay into Fi. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Well, it's still a defense reaction, right? Yeah, it's still a D react, so you don't want it in, in all, like, everywhere, but it is very nice. I'm, I'm a big fan of Tarpet. So how... How was your matchups like in the actual calling? Did you... How do I, yeah. how do I move on? Go ahead, Yuki. <laughs> okay, sure. I, I can kind of give a mini report of how everything went. So day one, we played eight rounds of Swiss. I think it was like a 500-person tournament um, after people dropped and no-shows and all that. There was like 503 players or something. Day one, I played two Lexis. I went one and one into Lexi. The mirror I lost... I drew really bad. <laughs> I drew really, really bad. I think I had like four all red hands. And then I three of a kinded into blue withering shot, rain razors, rain razors. It was just, <laughs> it was a miserable game. 
I also played against a Dash, a Levia, two Briars, and two Icelanders, all of which I beat. So I ended up day one going uh, seven and one on the day and being in a really good spot going into day two. My only loss being uh, Aleximir. Don't have too many notable things to say about these games other than um, when I was playing them, it just really reminded me of how strong Lexi is. I just like, there's like a lot of these games where I'm just like, I just felt like my opponents couldn't do that much. And that's not to say like, that's nothing, that's not trying to take away from my opponents or anything. It's just like, I don't know, like I just drew rain razors and three of a kinds and killed them and, and like, they just couldn't really keep up. Your deck was just like, your deck felt more powerful than your opponent's deck kind of situation. Yeah. Like there was like a certain number of games where I'm just like, this, this isn't particularly close. And I don't think, Given how the cards came up, I don't think any way of playing this game could have led to you winning kind mm, of thing. Yeah, that's 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 a good feeling. That's a good feeling. Actually, before you move on to day two, I guess I'll talk about my day one as well. I played Bravo into this field, and I did not make day two. I think all of my games except for one was not close. The My final record was five and three. I ended up playing against, I guess I'll... Save that one for last. I ended up playing against two Briars, one Lexi, one Icelander, and two Prisms. What was my last one? Oh, and Akatsu. And my losses were to the two Prisms that I played, and there were only 10 Prism players in the event. I was 3-0 in round... Sorry, I was 2-0 going into round 3, played against the Prism... And this is the prism that ended up day twoing this calling. He was very, very good. And that game, I had no chance of winning. He was at like eight or nine life when I like conceded the game. Like I, I didn't even lose. I just like said, I can't beat this board anymore. You still have a bunch of cards left in your deck. I cannot fatigue you. You have too much life. I, I cannot win. I don't have enough damage in my deck to kill you anymore. So I ended up conceding the game halfway through. And then the round right after, I was like talking to all my friends saying, I just don't want to play against Prism. And as long as I dodge Prism, I feel like I can like win out this, uh, the rest of the, like, the day one. And the next, immediately after, I play against another <laughs> Prism. And I was like, I was about to leave the moment he flipped over the hero reveal. But then, <laughs> but then he goes on to say that he hasn't played Prism for like before this event at all. He has never played the Bravo matchup, and I'm like, okay, that's a little bit more reassuring for me. And we end up playing. The game was a lot closer, notably because he wasn't doing like all of the fancy tech the first Prism was doing. But then the game was like kind of closer, but still felt unwinnable <laughs> yeah so i ended up going 2-2 uh went out all the way to the last round i played against an icelander in round eight and i had a somewhat of a close game but not really uh i made some decision errors of when to pivot to to fatigue and when to continue with the aggressive and um Icelander ended up killing me with um some too much arcane damage at the end but uh yeah so I end up 5-3 the event I'm kind of mad I still played against two prisms though it's this this is ridiculous like 
It's definitely pretty unfortunate in a 500-person tournament. Ten with ten wins. prisms, play two of them when you're on Bravo. Feels bad. Were they just on like Iris and lots of auras? Was that basically the plan? Yeah, they were on like they're both on very similar lists. I am assuming they're a little bit different, but functionally they were all playing like blue auras, yellow auras, and the figments and very little heralds. Well, the heralds they were playing all had dominate, obviously. So that's kind of annoying too. And yeah. they end up setting up, uh, is it called Passing Mirage? Is it the one that loses Phantasm? Yeah, Passing Mirage. Yeah, they up, they set up like three fan- Passing Mirages on me. I ended up ignoring one of them and then it like snowballed out. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, Passing passing Mirage, very good into Guardian. <laughs> yeah, it's like they played it on the turn I had the Crippling Crush Dominate. So I'm like, okay, I guess I should crippling crush dominate them then they just like dump their whole hand played more auras took 11 and i'm like oh no i'm dying <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was always a sick play that prism could do just like block three play an aura or even just like double aura sometimes play two yellow auras and it's just <laughs> they lose a lot of life but it's not good for you as bravo no like they set up a genesis uh the one that gives minus one Parable, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. And then once they have like four auras and like spectral shields, it's kind of like unbeatable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and prism, like they're just the specifically the Bravo prism matchup kind of feels unwinnable because once they have one figment on board, none of your crush will ever hit for the rest of the game. You can't ever set it up. Dominating any attack just doesn't mean anything because they get to flip over their their figment at any point and has ward four. Yeah, I think I think soul is the resource that can be difficult for them because it does take a soul to flip the card. But but certainly if they're able to keep their soul healthy with like yeah, with a genesis, merciful genesis, um, it can be quite rough. That was my whole calling experience. So how was your day two? Yeah, I actually just remembered I did have one thing I want to mention day one. I got to play against um, Zach Bunn from the Wolfpack and Team Covenant for the first time. And that was just a really pleasant match. It was kind of like this really weird Lexi Briar matchup where neither of us drew particularly well. Like I, neither of us were like doing anything all that powerful, but it turns out when both decks don't do anything that powerful, Lexi tends to come out ahead. What what was he on? He was on Briar. Briar. Yeah. We just kind of like it was like no channel mounts, very few like three of a kind codex rain razor. It was just kind of like we were just like hitting each other with attacks. It was like very fair flesh and blood. <laughs> mm, yeah. Arrow arrows are slightly better than non-arrows if you're just doing the fair stuff. Yeah, that that did be that that was what it felt like and I think I may have drawn like one or two power cards somewhere. But yeah, I just wanted to shout that out. It was hadn't played against Zach before and very cool dude and it was just yeah, a very pleasant experience and a pleasant game. So I did want to mention that. Going into day two, I it was five rounds in day two before cut to top eight. And I basically need a record of X2. I think one X3 ended up making it. But you want your losses to be very late. And my loss on day one was round three. So I pretty much would need to lose like the last two rounds. And then even then it probably comes up to breakers. Um, so I really needed to kind of like go for one in in these last five games round one i play against uh one of our locals eli and he's on lexi we're playing the mirror and i end up losing this game he draws i think significantly better than me 
I think I played one, one three of a kind. Mm, that's maybe. But he played multiple three of a kinds in Rain Razors, and I didn't. Is is basically how the game went. I, I got one Rain Razors turn that was pretty good, but it was like also all reds. I think I think I got a bit greedy by Tunic attacking with uh, I believe it was a red hamstring shot when I had when I had go again, uh, and I think I should have just held it back, and my turn would have been quite a bit better had I not done that. And maybe I'm like slightly more in the game at that point, but it was one of the, like. I think the Luximir is like not entirely up to who draws better. There's a lot of skill expression, but there are some games where if you just draw a lot more power cards than your opponent, it's not very close. And this this did kind of feel like that. But you know, Eli also did play very well and didn't really give me he didn't really make any mistakes or give me any room to come back when he was drawing better, which is, you know, what you want to be doing. He's on a very similar list to you as well, right? He's I think he's on lightning presses as well. Yeah, Eli's on a very similar list as well. Ian Smith actually has recently started testing with my testing team. And then I also know Ian and Eli test together. And he's talked to me about sharing the list with Eli. And and so their their deck is not exactly the same as the deck that I registered. In particular, I believe Eli's on Trench and there's like some different arrow choices and stuff. But overall, very similar, has tarpit traps, has lightning presses, um, I think has three poppers. So so a lot of those things are, are in common. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So going into round 10, I need to win out. I play against a dash. I think we both draw really hot. The game doesn't last very long. Actually, my first turn sucks. My first turn sucks. I I think I just go blue Bolton shot for three, load an arrow, Arsenal Rain Razors pass. And he's at like 37. And then he has some like pulse wave harpoon turn i leak a bunch of damage my turn's not that good i think i just like play an arrow arsenal a new arrow sandbag the rain razors get to have like one pop-off turn where i hit him very 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 hard and then he um he t-bone t-bone magnetics my um (laughs) my new horizon and we're both like super low already even though the game's like been three or four turns and it's this kind of scrappy end game. I end up kind of having some like codexes that are pretty good. I actually almost make a mistake and Arsenal, almost Arsenal the wrong card. Um, I had like a Rain Razors and an Endless Arrow. And I put one of them in my Arsenal. And it was the Endless Arrow, but I thought it was the Rain Razors. And then I started drawing up and I'm like, wait, I think I put the wrong card in my Arsenal. And luckily I hadn't looked at the cards yet and they were still distinct. And there was like a judge call and the judge said, yeah, it's fine. There's no information and nothing has changed. So I was very fortunate to be able to swap that because if I Arsenaled the Endless Arrow, I think I 100% lose that game. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you almost accidentally Arsenal the wrong card? I put the wrong card in Arsenal, but luckily I noticed before it was too late, and the cards I had drawn up were distinct from the card that I had in my hand. So it wasn't like there was like no question of like I hadn't looked at anything. There was you could tell that there was two cards in hand, and it was really easy to just swap them. Oh, okay, okay. So it was like you were being you, you didn't like blaze through your turn fast enough that it was it was going to be an issue. Yeah, usually when I drop at the end, I like to just like put the cards like in front of my hero kind of thing and deal them out and then just kind of take my time. So if there is a mistake, I give myself a, ch- a chance to catch it. And and I did in this spot. <clears throat> and uh, luckily, luckily it worked out. Yeah, I guess this will be like one of those like, not a procedure error, but like it's, 
it's a good procedure to have to make sure that like in these higher level events you give yourself outs to like when you have a mistake you can like double check to make sure that you have the the right setup before getting any kind of like penalties or worst case scenario get forced to make that line that you didn't want to make yeah and and one of the reasons that i originally adopted this was because i'd accidentally drawn i think i'd accidentally drawn five cards before by or like drawn four cards with a card already in my hand because i wasn't like careful enough about how i did it so i started being more intentional about like how I place my cards. And specifically, if I have one, I'll put it up in front of my hero, then I'll deal three cards kind of like next to it on the side. So it's like all very clear. And usually just like, I just find like being very, very clear in tournaments and very deliberate usually helps me not make errors. And if there is an error, you're like more likely to be able to fix it without it completely ruining your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you draw five cards, then they get to look at your hand and rip one, right? So it yeah as a lexi like that could actually just like ruin your whole day yeah they could just go oh i uh take your blue nice nice reds <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was that dash game it was kind of wild we both drew quite well lexi mirror in round 11 very very close i think my opponent took a little bit of a greedy line um he wins for sure if it works out he he decides to arsenal a red searing next to his blue searing and he's playing perch grapplers and he was hoping to draw into a blue when he was quite ahead and if he drew into the blue i think he gets like four arrow attacks and i probably lose on the spot because i'm pretty low but he didn't draw into a blue and drew into reds so he had to pitch two reds to searing searing and um i was able to come back because of that so I, i don't know like it's possible that the, the game was pretty close. It's possible that he had to just go for that line and maybe he would have not gotten there otherwise. But unfortunately for him, it just definitely didn't work out and was a pretty big uh, turning point in the game. Yeah, that kind of sounds pretty lucky for you because Lexi plays a lot of blues, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd say, well, sort of. Uh, it depends on the list. A lot of lists are between like 15 to 17 blues, but they also play quite a few yellows. And the yellows, because they're two zero costs in Arsenal, um, the yellow would be like... I don't know what else was in his hand. I can't quite remember, but the yellow might have been serviceable as well. Yeah. Would have been better than pitching two reds for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. 100%. 100%. Wow. Get lucky and win. So you're at this point, 11 rounds, you are X and two, nine and two. Yep. So need two more wins to lock top eight. I get paired into Easton Douglas and I go, okay, another Lexi mirror because he's played Lexi for quite a while now before Lexi got really powerful in Outsiders. And then he tells me, no, I'm on Dory. And at first I think he's joke. I thought he was joking with me because I've talked to Easton before. I don't think I've actually played him, but I've talked with him at events before. But he's like, no, no, I'm actually on Dory. And I was like, oh, okay. Dory is actually not a great matchup for Lexi. I think Dory is slightly favored. Part of what's hard about it is that they can race you with Dawnblade counters and you can just kind of get run over, but they can also fatigue you. And they can kind of do both from a similar list because they have so much armor and they block well. Like they can bring in like 60 reacts and attacks. And depending how the game goes, they can race you a bit more or they can pivot to fatigue. And it's like a very tricky game to navigate as Lexi. So I'm trying to figure out how to sideboard and how to play into them. I board up to, I think, 64, 65 cards uh, just as a little bit of a hedge. And I'm trying to figure out what he's doing. It turns out he is on more of the fatigue style plan. I think he's playing sinks and fates only, though, as far as D-Reacts. This game is incredibly close. I end up killing him with two cards left in deck. 
yeah, so very, very close game. Um, I think the final turn was like a... I had to choose to arsenal a red infecting next to my codex, and then I codexed for a falcon wing, and I got to go falcon wing, blue arrow for three, blue arrow for three, infecting for five when he's at... um, I think he was at three, so all the threes were lethal, and then infecting was also lethal if it leaked, and he couldn't block at all. But... um, yeah, like exact lethal two cards left in deck kind of situation. That matchup is very scary, and I felt I felt like I played well, but it was it was really hard. <laughs> yeah, well, when this game it feels so good when you have like no cards left in your deck and you win exactsies basically, and yeah. that's what it sounds like. So congrats on. Yeah, that. I think I had like two blues left in my deck because like there's no way that I win. <laughs> well, but you squeezed um, it out. Yeah, I did squeeze it out. And then round 13, I actually didn't have to play. I got paired into Ben Hanna. Hanna? Hannon? Oh, no. I forget his last name. I got paired into Ben. Anyways, he ended up conceding to me. I actually got paired up because I think Ben and the other X1 had already played each other. So I got paired up into him, and he was already locked for second place. Um, And so he said, you know, I'm okay conceding if you're fine with that. I went, okay, I, would, I wouldn't mind having a break and being locked for top eight too. <laughs> Basically, he just wanted to eat and relax a little bit. And, and this is something that's pretty common, I think, in these really long events is that if you don't need to play your very last round of Swiss, often just feeling rested and getting a chance to eat is more valuable than trying to dream crush someone. But I know Jay likes dream crushing people, so. Actually, in that exact scenario, it's kind of better to concede uh, because the stand his standings don't change if he wins or lose. So he's only playing to dream crush. But what's actually better than that is to not go get food, but to actually watch the other six games going on um, beside you because those are your top eight comp- opponents. And then you can actually look at what kind of deck they're playing before you go into top eight which can be kind of huge uh for your sideboarding decisions in in top eight i'm not sure if that's what he did or if he had teammates to do that for him but that's typically Um, like the highest edge thing you can do in these events yeah that that's actually more relevant so that's not relevant here um but it is relevant for stuff like proquest in the competitive rules now at least for like calling level events, um, it's open deck list in top eight. Oh, is it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is like a recent change. It wasn't always this way because I I played when I played in calling Leo top eight. It definitely was an open deck list. But yeah, it is it is open deck list. So there's like not really a consideration for that. But I agree that in situations where you don't have an open deck list, if you can get some scouting in, it's well worth it. So. Anyways, I get a chance to have a little bit of a lunch. I just eat a salad, nothing too heavy. Um, I don't want to be tired, but I did want to eat something. And I ended up being X and 2. I thought I was going to be 4th seed, but it turns out that I was actually 5th seed, which is a pretty big difference. It meant that I I didn't get to choose if I went 1st or 2nd in actually all of my top 8 games. Depending on the matchup can be a pretty big deal. So... Yeah, fourth and fifth, pretty big difference. You know, still very stoked to be in top eight regardless. My first round is into Sean Dollywall from Toronto. Um, He was on Big Dragon Dromai. I was sort of familiar with his list. I talked to the Toronto guys a bit. I played 
um, Aaron Shantz in the PTI event. Um, he crushed me when I was on Icelander and is one of the reasons I registered Lexi. So I guess in a weird way, thank you, Shantz. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, I play Sean. He chooses to go second, which I think is correct in the matchup. It's a very close game. I would say that it's pretty back and forth. He gets a pretty nice board. I'm able to clear it quite nicely with an Endless in Arsenal. I get to Endless a dragon, snaps it, and then Voltaire down two more dragons in Arsenal, which clears his board, but does leave us like roughly at parity. Um, and he has a full hand. And he ends up getting kind of forced into an awkward line where he plays Necria and Kyloria off of two blues to play around uh, to play around a popper. He just wants to get both dragons out of his hand. But it puts him to zero ash. And my hand, I have a rain raisers in Arsenal, but my hand really sucks. And I have this like blue searing shot in Arsenal. I can't really do anything with either. So I don't really want to. And I need to clear the Kyloria too. So I like, I don't really want to have this rain raisers turn. And the line I end up taking is blocking four on Necria with Hornet Sting and a three block. And then, sorry, on Kyloria with Hornet Sting and a three block. Um, and then blocking six on Necria. Notably, don't block Hornet Sting on the Necria because you will ping it and they'll get an Ash. Um, and this kept him on zero Ash and let me use my Arsenal card to clear the Kyloria and Arsenal a better arrow next to it. This actually just completely time walks Sean. The big dragon list doesn't have very many non-dragon starters. Like there's like Burn Them All, Sigil, I think they have Rabbles. And that might be it. It depends a bit on the list, but there's really not that many starters. Then Rake the Embers. Uh, other than Rake, that is it. No, nothing else has go again other than the dragons that require an Ash to play. Yeah, so there's like Rake, Burn Them All, Sigil, Rabble, I think are basically his outs. It just felt like a pretty... Even if he's able to get the Ash, it's often inconvenient. Like he might have to like play a Rabble, then pitch a card to Furnace, and then like play like a one cost dragon. So his turn's not incredible at that point. Uh, usually getting Dromai to zero Ash is really, really good, especially because he had already used Seekers. Um, so he wasn't able to get it on demand. They also have a uh, Inline and Strike. Okay. Yeah, I guess he could go E Strike, go again, attack with Necria. Yeah, he, he had some outs, but, but anyways, he didn't end up drawing them and he just ended up attacking with Necria and passing. Uh, which let me just have a giant Rain Razor's turn with only taking four damage from the Necria. Yeah, the, the game was pretty much over from that point. I was just way too far ahead. So that was my top eight game. Yeah, so top four, I play against Redline Dromai. He puts me going uh, first because he wants to go second, which again, I think is right in this match. I end up going Heatseeker, a loaded Heatseeker pitching a blue, choose go again or plus one, pass. He uses his uh, Seekers turn zero, which is very standard to get that Ash, and it's really hard to punish them for it. But I actually have the perfect uh, the perfect hand, and I get to play Arctic in uh, after he's resolved his Seekers, and he doesn't have a way to break the Ash anymore because he's already used Seekers. He has nothing he can activate. He hasn't played a red. He can't flame scale Furnace. That's so gross. Yeah, so he starts the game with three... Um, Three Frostbites, which is really bad for the Red Dragon Dromai list. I think he might have been playing zero reds into me. Maybe he has passings. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he sideboarded, but I think he would have, at most have passing Mirage into me. And I also get to Arsenal Lightning Press. So my my Arsenal is Heatseeker Lightning Press, which is like a really, really good Arsenal too. And going to his turn, it turns out that he has no zero cost 
plays. His only zero cost card in his hand is Fate Foreseen. Everything else costs one, and it's all red. So he just has to pass. Oh, time, actual time walk. Yeah, actual time walk. And then I get to flip up a lightning press and attack him with Heatseeker, and it's just like, that is so much pressure. The game's over. <laughs> yeah, especially because... His red line Droma is a little interesting. Like he had um, no flicker trick, which is better into lightning press for sure. Um, and then he had sinks and fate. So he's like a little bit more able to block, but that deck does have a lot of two blocks and doesn't deal that well when it gets, it doesn't deal well with being put behind the, the big dragons, like easier to play from behind, but the red line needs to kind of like get ahead, stay ahead. Sorry. I see. I do see flicker trick in, in his list. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It says two flicker tricks. You're right. So he has Sync, Fate, and Flicker Trick. And I remember getting got by Flicker Trick. I, I actually missed it in his list when I looked at his deck list the first time, and then he Flicker Tricked, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I forgot about it again here. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah but he does have two Flicker Tricks. I think this is kind of standard in uh, Redline Dromai now. Yeah, so I think I think the notable thing is that he has Sync, Fate, and Flicker Trick. So he does have a little bit more blocking. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah, the game is not especially close, especially because I just continue to draw really well. Like it's like Rain Razors, Three of a Kind, Codex. Like he's just not really able to get traction. I think I end the game, I think I'm still at like 25 life or something. Um, That's so gross. Yeah, it was one of the most one-sided drama games I've had. And I don't think it's to any fault of him. It was just like my Arctic getting the full time walk with like, probably one of the best double arsenals you can start with is just like pretty crazy and then i and then i continue to draw really well too like i also drew hot after that <laughs> i, I kind of feel bad for him y- yeah I, I i felt a little bad too like i could see him trying really hard and like it seemed like he's like trying to think about how to get back in the game and stay calm but like it's yeah it's really tough nice guy though and and first place he was first seed out of Swiss, so definitely doing something right. He was uh, one of the only X ones, so had a very good weekend up until that point. My finals is against Bravo. I play against Ben, who's actually the round 13 opponent that ended up conceding to me so that we could you know, take a break, and I was locked for top eight. And my plan into Bravo is to kind of like board up, bring in some remembrances, and that way, if they just want to block out, I will pull ahead in terms of fatigue. He presented a pretty lean deck. I think he was at 63 cards, whereas I was at like 67. I think I kept one press out because I noticed he had three pummels and I felt like he might race me, especially in an open deckless situation. And he did end up trying to like hit me with dominates and had a pretty good string of like crippling, crippling spinal, something like that. He had like a very good sequence of attacks that put me pretty far behind on life. I managed to find a spot when I got spinal to arsenal two red arrows and present a red arrow back. And I kind of got a little bit of breathing room and had a big turn that sort of put the life totals close. I think he was at six and I was at like two or something. We're kind of trading a little bit, and I end up very, very near, narrowly closing out the game after getting, I think I get some like fairly fortunate draws, like three of a kinds in spots where I need them. I was, I did Remembrance back at least, I think, one three of a kind, because, um, so basically Remembrance is there to return arrows to help fatigue them, but if they are trying to race you, you can instead Remembrance back like Codexes and Three of a Kinds, because those are the cards that catch you up in the value game. Um, So that's how I was using it in this matchup. And 
I did end up getting some nice three of a kind turns when I really needed them to stay in the game. I think he also had some nice like strings of crushes. Ended up just barely being able to close it out by blocking a hammer with my new horizon and my tunic and going to one. Playing a blue infecting shot with go again while he's at six. Um, he blocks three. I rain razors it. So he takes two and a blood rot down to four. I um, then codex back a red infecting shot. He's off arsenal and he um, has to put a card away and he doesn't have the sink or fate. I think he only had, I think he didn't have that many left. I had been tracking them. Yeah, he didn't happen to have the sink or fate. So the the infecting shot for seven was was lethal. And I ended up just barely getting there, but it was a very, very close game. And I think I very well could have lost that game. It was not like it was a good one. I wish I wish I could go back and watch coverage of it, but there unfortunately wasn't much coverage because of US Nationals being kind of the, the main focus of the weekend. I guess this is like the closest thing you can get to a coverage for the Calling Las Vegas is 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 your story because you've played all the way up to the finals. Yeah, it was um quite the weekend. So overall my record in CC was 14 and 2. And my only losses were to Lexi's. Actually, beat everything else. I think I played against two Dashes, a Levia, three Briars, two Icelanders, a Dory, two Dromais, a Bravo, and then what? How many Lexies? One, two, four Lexies. It looks like pretty good spread. And um, I think I will definitely be bringing Lexi for Canadian Nationals. That that sounds great. Like honestly, you, you won the calling here. Now just do it again at nationals, right? <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. But um, I'm feeling good about the deck. And yeah, after having played so much Icelander, then going back to Lexi, I'm just like, oh, this deck is just so powerful. Like I don't know. And I know that some people are kind of like, I don't want to play Lexi because of the mirror match, and they don't like getting high rolled. Well, you know what doesn't feel good. Getting high rolled by Lexi when you're not Lexi. It doesn't feel any better. <laughs> That's so true. It's so true. It's ju- it's just like, isn't it like because I'm on Icelander doesn't mean that like feeling getting high rolled by Lexi feels good. Like it still feels awful, right? So like it's just not a reason to not play the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It's so funny that it's true. Yeah, because Lexi high rolls anyways. So it doesn't kind of matter which year you're on. And there's not really a hero that can stop that high roll. I guess Icelander with channel, like a really well-timed channel lake. Yeah, but it does feel like you kind of need to get like lucky into it. And if they run hot enough, like you're probably just doomed anyways. Because they can just like three of a kind into a bunch of blues and attack you for 20 anyways. Like I've <laughs> definitely had that happen. <laughs> That's so gross. I think Bravo is like... It's interesting. I, I thought that this matchup was really favored. After playing into Ben, it felt really close. I think it, Bravo, Bravo might just be a very skill and pilot dependent deck. And I think Bravo doesn't get high rolled quite as hard in the sense that like you're playing such a long game and you block so well that it's not like, you know, one rain raisers, three of a kind turn and the game's over. Yeah, it's they, they also get to like crippling crush you and like spinal crush you so like if those line up with your power hands it like it could it could slow you down considerably and it's not like you always get that rain razor three of a kind turn all the time anyways so mm-hmm. if those line up in a bad spot like you could, like Lexi Lexi can fall behind quite quickly 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're still debating what to bring to nationals for any of our listeners, this is kind of like a common piece of advice that people give, but I, I really felt it this weekend after like deliberating myself. The mirror match is not a reason to not play the deck that you think is the strongest. Because it just means you have a 50-50 into the best deck, and that's good because it's the best deck. Like, like I mean, there are there are decks that are favored into it, but I mean, just I, I think be be very careful about your reasoning and don't you know don't talk yourself out of it because you don't because you're worried about the mirror being swingy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're worried about the mirror being swingy, it's kind of that's kind of a non-issue. I feel like a real issue would be if you think you can't beat the better player in the mirror then that might be a reason to move off of it. So, like, I think back in the day when you were playing Oldham, and if you know you can't beat better Oldham players, it's kind of a reason to not play Oldham, because yes, it's just like, the moment you flip up Oldham against the better player play flipping up Oldham, you're just like, how am I ever going to win, right? Like, they're going to edge me out by one point by the end of the game. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, there are certain mirror matches that are very... They're almost like a chess match where the better player just has such an overwhelming likelihood to win the win the match. But I don't think Lexi's one of those decks. Um, no, 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 not even close. <laughs> yeah, I, I also don't think... I also think that, like the people that are just like it's whoever draws more three of the kinds and like none of your decisions matter like that that's not quite right either. I think that there are a lot of decision points people should generally be blocking more than they are and you can win some games that you otherwise wouldn't be able to win. So there are edges to be had. There certainly are and there are very good Lexi mirror matches to be had. Like some of them are very fun, but there also are those blowout Hyrule games and I'll play you know, three of our kind. Something. I play Rain Razors. I play Rain Razor. I play four arrows. <laughs> Good game. <laughs> yeah, that that does happen and it does feel unsatisfying. But it is <laughs> you know it doesn't mean that there's no edges and no skill in the matchup either. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And uh yeah, so well once again, congrats on your first place. You won what, five thousand US dollars minus taxes? <laughs> Yeah, 5,000 US and Crown of Providence. And the PTI. And the PTI. PTI number, what, four in your account now? Five? Five. I have four in my account, but five. Five. That's one I've gotten. With with this one. Oh, the, oh yeah. you've used one. I've, yeah, I, I've, yeah, yeah, I've used one. Okay, okay, so you have four in your account now. You're kind of crazy. <laughs> it's been a good couple of years for me in Flesh and Blood. I definitely feel like I got... I'm happy with how I played at this event, but I definitely feel like I got lucky in a few key spots. And that's often what it takes to win an event. Like um, you do see top players top eight pretty frequently, like Hamilton, Pablo, like a lot of those guys are are top eighting a lot. Michael Fang are top eighting a lot, but actually winning is hard. Yeah. Michael Fang winning the battle harden after like bubbling the, the Nats or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there, there is like a lot of consistency in Fab, but taking down an entire event is always like you, you do need things to go the right way. Um, like even like a really simple example was that I was on the other side of the bracket from the Azuri and the Bravo player killed the Azuri for me. But if I'm on the same side of the bracket as the Azuri and I have to play them, like that's not a 0% matchup I can win, but it's not good for me. Yeah, it's probably like a 70-30, somewhere close to that, right? 
Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I was very happy to dodge that Azuri. And, and those types of things are sometimes what you need to make it through that top eight bracket because it's all, it's all single limb and just, you know, even something like the standings can affect who ends up winning out there. Yeah, the gem. You got blessed by a gem. I did. I did. I feel like I got lucky. I got high-rolled by a gem. Two prisms. I, I don't understand. I, oh, my <laughs> God. Just please... Oh my god. Uh, if anyone listening to this is going to Canadian Nationals, please don't bring Prism. I'm like probably on Bravo, but please, like, you're not gonna have a good time if you bring Prism. Like, you're gonna get smashed by some random go-wide strategy. Just just, just bring Dromai or Icelander. I'm bad against Icelander. My deck's not teched against Icelander, but like, just, just bring Icelander and I can have like a game that's not 0%. Yeah. I feel that. Oh my god. I, I do think that Prism is a pretty um, hard choice to make going into Nationals, seeing as how many Canadians were on Dromai. Dragon Dromai, at least of the calling, I, I assume. Going into Nats, they still would be, but but who knows? Maybe they have something up their sleeve. Or like, how, it's it's kind of hard to be... Actually, no. Prism versus Lexi, I heard it's like it's not that bad for Prism. It's like, yeah, as long it's as okay. uh, Lexi doesn't high roll you, you kind of have a good chance. Yeah, it's a matchup that I would want to practice more if Prism was more relevant. Maybe I'll get around to practicing it more. But I do think the Dromai matchup is like pretty doomed. Um, you just can't deal with Ashwings. It's kind of impossible. Or even like something like Briar. Briar is kind of hard. Probably, yeah. That That would make a lot of sense to me. I haven't seen that matchup, but I would imagine it would be hard. And then I guess there's that big Briar list that's out and seems kind of annoying, but like, I also don't think that list can be Dromai, so hmm, I guess we'll see. I'm curious to see if that big Briar list that won US Nats will continue to do well in this very short Nats season, or if it's sort of like a one-off meta call and that's going to be it. I guess we'll see. Um, but but I guess Briar is officially li- living legend. So when we get the ban and suspended in mid-September, then that's going to be it for Briar. She's finally gone, despite being at 998 for, I don't even know how long, forever. Forever, yeah. The The biggest thing about Briar, though, is like Briar is like not kind of like huge in the metagame, but Rosetta Thorn was good in like, all the rune blades and now that's gone and i think that's gonna have a bigger impact for the rune blades than than briar going away yeah absolutely and it'll be interesting to see how the rest of nats carries out there's i think there's like 1100 living legend points in total for all of nats so less now because we've had some events and like us nats went to briar and i think that's 100 but um and that's counting the calling as well but um yeah, Icelander could possibly living legend this season. Even Lexi could technically living legend this season. She would need to win a lot. Uh, winning the calling definitely, you know, that's 100 points right there. But, you know, a lot of these Nats are worth like 20, 40 points. Um, and she is very strong. So it's, I don't think she will living legend, but it is not impossible. That's fair. I think if she won like half the Nats, she would probably LL kind of thing. Or get close like Briar, like 900 yeah. points. Yeah. So we might be in for a pretty big meta shift at some point. If Lexi and Icelander are gone, there's just no more ice heroes. And um, yeah, that would be a really big change. Yeah, I would almost want to play Visrai again. You still have to go. You still have to deal with Warmongers, though. Oh, I forgot about that card. (laughs) 
I play it, and I always forget about that card. Man, for the first time, somebody played Warmongers against me as a Bravo player. I had to pick up and read the card to make sure I said the right word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't do a whole lot against Bravo. I guess you can't dominate and you can't seismic surge, but... It was, like, slightly annoying, but, like, picking up the card and just being like, don't say peace, don't say peace, don't say peace, war. Okay, I I, I passed passed my reading tests for the game, you know? Yeah, I got that. I guess uh, we'll talk about just how we did in Vegas. Like, I guess, uh, yeah, we're going to just wrap up the calling. I think that you didn't have anything else to talk about the calling itself, right? No, no, I don't think so. That was pretty much it. Very happy with the result, of course, and just, yeah, feel feel very, uh, very fortunate, very lucky. You know, I'm, I'm happy with how I played, but like we talked about, just a lot has to go your way. And whenever feels good to take down, down that event, but it's always like, kind of like the stars have to align just the right way for it to happen. I guess uh, before I ask you what you did in Vegas, other than Flesh and Blood, I'll just talk about what I did at the at the venue because I did it day two, so I had free time on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up sleeping in a little bit. I tried to come to the venue for the 11 a.m. CC event, which uh, I arrived at the venue at 11.01, which means I couldn't register for that event. Oh, no. But instead, I ended up doing some First Dead Monarch drafts uh, that was stamped because they had leftover product from the Nationals and they were offering the uh, the stamped Monarch First Dead drafts as a side event, like an on-demand draft. Uh, right. That's and sweet. Yeah, I ended up doing two and then they closed registration like they stopped doing on demands quite early in the evening which i was like kind of like man i wish i could have done like three more drafts but only got to do two ended up going uh 2-0 in the first one and 3-0 in the second one ended up drawing the last round of the first draft just because my opponent was like oh i want to go play some team sealed event blah 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 I had to go to the washroom really badly, so <laughs> I, I accepted and didn't play it out. But I was doing my strat of like no pivot, no scout prism, pick up, you know, brandish yellow, belittle reds, minimalism blue very highly. And honestly, it felt so good that like, because a lot of the players that was playing it was like the US Nats competitors that was had nothing to do on Sunday, essentially. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was always winning with the exact points where I thought I would be like edging out my opponents of like, oh, I'm like one point ahead here. So I end up the game with like no cards in deck. I'm at one, my opponent's dead. And that was happening in like all of my games. So like it felt really good that like that this strategy is like still strong even outside of Vancouver. And yeah, I think I think I might kind of lock to doing the no pivot no scale prism for Canadian Nats as well. If it worked, if it worked in the on on demands with like some of the US Nats players, I feel like it will work at Canadian Nats as well. So, hopefully I can 3-0 with that strategy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like you've been having a lot of success, so that's um yeah, that's cool. And yeah, I think that's basically all I did. And I was just complaining all day that there wasn't enough side events to play. (laughs) (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. I know I know a lot of my teammates were cubing all day on Sunday and I I had looked forward to cubing with them, but didn't end up working out. <laughs> you were busy winning the calling. Wow. What a what a complaint to have that you couldn't cube. Well, it's not a complaint. It's more just like cubing is really fun and I wish I wish I could have fit one cube in somewhere, but it just I don't know. It just yeah. wasn't really possible. Yeah, I had to win the calling instead. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh and uh how was the rest of Vegas for you? Did you end up gambling or eating dinner? Yeah, my my trip was really good. I I enjoyed it a lot. I kind of mentioned it at the start. Um I didn't have a lot of time because got there so late on Thursday and left first thing on Monday. Um and when I was at the event hall pretty long all the days just calling's long day, and I was hanging out waiting for US Nats day one to finish on the first day after the PTI event, so I didn't end up having that much downtime. In the evenings, I mostly went for dinner with some teammates, um, and I also was just hanging out with my girlfriend in Vegas, and that was kind of it. It was like pretty low-key in the evenings, because um, like every day just had to wake up for, I don't know, calling day one, calling day two get to the airport for 6 a.m. Like it was just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there wasn't a lot of room for partying. It was kind of like eat, hang out for a bit. And that was it. So it was nice, but I didn't really, this trip for me didn't really need, like it being Vegas didn't really, it, it could have been anywhere pretty much aside from like that we were staying in a hotel. Like I didn't really do any of the Vegas stuff this time. Uh, wh- which hotel did you stay at? Did you stay at the Westgate? Yeah, I stayed at the Westgate, so it was super convenient, and I'm pretty glad that I did. It was, um, it already felt tight on time, and I don't know what your experience, were, uh, were you at the Westgate, actually? No, I actually stayed at the Horseshoe. I, okay. I gamble a lot, so I have, I had comps at the Caesars locations, and the cheapest nice. one was the Horseshoe. I ended up paying, so I ended up sleeping on a couch instead of a bed, shared the room with mm-hmm. five people. I ended up paying thirty-five U.S. dollars for the four nights wow. that I stayed there. Uh, the rest good. of the guys paid about seventy bucks. Yeah, that's that's really good. I can see why you did that. Yeah, well, like it's it's still good for them, right? Seventy bucks for four nights is kind of insane already. And I don't have any money, so thirty-eight dollars or thirty-five bucks for the th- four nights is also insane for me. So I think it was a win-win yeah. for everyone. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask, um, so did you end up Ubering to the Westgate? No, so Las Vegas has something called a monorail uh, on the strip. And that oh, goes, so you were able to do that. Yeah, so it's uh, for the four, uh, it's, we got the three-day pass because we actually didn't need it for Thursday because we're not going anywhere and we don't need it for the Monday because we don't need to go to the Westgate again. So we got the three-day pass, that's 30 US dollars. This monorail comes every seven or eight minutes, I think. So it's very consistent. Um, yeah. and it takes 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. From like leaving the hotel room to getting to the venue or something like that. So it's very, very, very accessible. Yeah. That, that's, that's awesome. Cause man, the Ubers in Vegas sucked. It just like took forever to get them. There was like a lot of construction and traffic on the roads. Like it was pretty miserable. This They're time. doing construction for the, I think it's the F1 coming yeah. up soon and uh basically the whole strip is like a traffic jam day and night at this point so you mm-hmm. can't you can't uber at least like this 
next couple of months for sure. You won't be able to like Uber around anywhere. You would have to monorail or walk. But walking is awful. Yeah. So monorail. Monorail is actually like goaded. It's underutilized. So like you always get to sit down and like it's it's kind of goaded that like no nobody's using it. So it's like almost never crowded except for like Saturday night when everyone's partying. Yeah, that sounds really good. The way that it worked out for me is I was going to places that you couldn't really monorail to and I ended up having to Uber. And like, I think on the Sunday, we ended up waiting like 50 minutes to get an Uber to actually come. Like it just kept going like waiting for a driver and like nobody would take it. And it was just like, it was just, yeah, I don't know. It was a bit of a headache. So that also contributed to not doing very many other things because I was like stuck waiting for Ubers a lot of the time. <laughs> I see, I see. I didn't go out to any dinners with anybody on this trip because of my very tight wallet for this trip. My food situation, if anyone's wondering, with like 30 bucks. So I ended up uh, converting my tickets into cash at the venue through trying to like sell it on like Discord and stuff like that. Ended up making like $100 through event tickets very generously, Kevin decided to stake me playing poker at the Horseshoe. Ended up winning about four hundred dollars there. Uh, he took he took home uh, like it's basically staking deals. He gets basically most of the profit. I get a portion of the profit for winning. So I ended up getting like a hundred bucks from that. That let me afford Panda Express on Sunday night. It was kind of <laughs> sick. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know what you were eating at least on the Friday. Do you want to share with our listeners your your food strategy? Oh, so I flew in on Thursday, and right next to the airport is a Walmart. So the, my first stop is to go to the Walmart, get a huge case of water for the room, and I bought two uh, long pieces of bread. It was a dollar fifty each, so that's three U.S. dollars. I bought a small can of peanut butter, which is a dollar thirty-nine. So it's about four fifty for that total. And I got uh, a box of cereals that was on sale for about four dollars. Um, and that's what I was eating in the room in the mornings before I left. So at the venue, I just had a long piece of what is it called? It's not baguette. It's a uh, French bread. Is that baguette? Yeah. Yeah, you had like a yeah, you had French bread. Yeah, French bread. So I just had like a like a huge thing of French bread with like a can of peanut butter, and I was like, that was like my lunch, dinner, breakfast for the whole week, and that was just yeah, like throughout the venue, if you just saw a guy eating bread with peanut butter through like from the jar, that that was me. Yeah, he was just carrying it around with him everywhere. It was it was pretty great. <laughs> But yeah, so my food expenses was like $30 for the whole weekend, um, including the Pan Express that was kind of expensive. It was like $15. So like half of it was the one Panda Express that you treated yourself to. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because uh, I ended up winning 100 bucks from from poker because Kevin staked me. Thank you very much, Kevin, if you're listening. I don't know if you do listen to this, but either way, appreciate the staking a lot. And um, and then on Monday, I have a whole day to basically myself, uh, Clay, my roommate was also on the same flight. He ended up going to a library in Vegas because he was like done with all the bright lights. 
And I ended up playing a poker tournament that cost $160. That was the rest of the money I had in my wallet. And I ended up coming third in that one. So uh, uh, cashed for $430. Oh, congrats. Yeah. So I actually come up out of this trip with way more money than I brought down. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. Good for you. Congratulations. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear your Vegas adventures worked out. Yeah, it was great. And uh, now desperately looking for cheaper alternatives to do in Mississauga for Canadian Nats because I'm still broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if um, if any of our listeners are ever trying to travel to events on a budget, Jay, I, I think it's fair to say that Jay is like a bit of a master at this. He's been traveling to events on the cheap as long as I've known you and I'm pretty sure well before that, so... <laughs> Yeah, ever since I was grinding Magic uh, Grand Prix, I would be like, I think the there's like two really relevant stories where the first one I went down with zero dollars in my wallet. Uh, I have paid for my like the gas to get down there and back, the Airbnb that I split seventeen ways, and the main event. I've paid for, but I had zero dollars in my wallet otherwise, and I somehow survived that one. So if you can do that, then you can do anything, you know. And then the other one is this Grand Prix Vancouver, which is where I'm from, but I went to the venue with like $13 in my wallet and like two American dollars for some reason that I had. Um, And I was just like just off work. Went to the venue to just hang out with people. Walk by this the side event registration, and they're calling out for one more person to fire an on-demand draft, and it costs like twenty bucks to enter. And then I go up to them. I go up to the guy who's trying to organize this, and I'm just like, "I have twelve dollars and two American dollars. Is this enough to play the draft?" And they said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and they let me play the draft for like six, like sixteen dollars Canadian value instead of twenty, and it was just like, wow, I didn't think this would work, but I guess never hurts to ask. I guess. <laughs> Did you um, open money or sell prize tickets to get to your next draft? Yeah, or? I ended up three owing that draft and uh, <laughs> and took the prize tickets, sold it, and then I had like. 35 bucks and then just like ran drafts until i had money to to sustain for the weekend like to keep on playing events <laughs> it was kind of sick <laughs> <laughs> this is such a j story i love it <laughs> yeah like honestly i i did a mistake in this calling vegas on the friday i ended up playing shapeshifter sealed i love that format but it was at 2 o'clock, which um, actually ended up breaking all of my other side events for the whole Friday. Like, I couldn't play. There was no on-demand drafts in the Friday morning, so I had no events in the morning. And then by the time that the Shapeshifter Sealed ended, there was no more on-demand drafts. There was no more uh, scheduled events. So then I just had to go back, and it kind of sucked. I wish, like, I chose a different event, so then I had more events to play throughout the Friday. And that's what I would change next time. Mm, fair enough that makes a lot of sense yeah um so that was our whole vegas trip 
Anything else you want to say before we close out the episode? I don't think I have too much else to add. Yeah, it was a great weekend. I guess shout out to my testing team, Team Stroopwaffle. We are pretty low-key for the most part, and I don't think that many people know all the people on the team, but I did actually make a post on Twitter recently just kind of shouting everyone out so that people can be familiar with them. Um, I'm not going to try and name everyone off the top of my head because I'm going to miss some names for sure. Yeah, just everyone on the testing team is awesome, good people, and uh, very talented at the game, and i just very appreciative to be part of that group because... Um, it's pretty hard to prepare for big events on your own. You need other people to practice with, other ideas. Um, you can't really do it by yourself. So very fortunate to have those people. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up. Um, if there's anything that we missed from the weekend or any questions you have about the deck or anything else, let us know in the comments below. You can also reach out to us on social media. We are on Twitter, or I suppose X as it is called now. Um, Jay is at Ueda Jay, and I'm at Yuki Liebender. You can reach out to us there, or you can email us directly at onthebobble at gmail.com. I may also end up doing a deck tech for uh, the Lexi deck at some point and posting it on the channel. I'm hoping to record that sometime this week, but um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I don't know if this will be posted first or the, de the deck tech will, but... You know, they'll they'll both be out at some point. I'll probably edit this this week because I have nothing to do. I'm 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 a free agent for a week. Okay. Well, regardless, if you want to hear more about the deck, check out the channel. It should be up there at some point. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Hope you all have a good evening and good luck to you in your nationals events if you haven't played them already. <laughs>